Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys. It feels like it's been longer than a week. I think it's because I haven't seen a number of you for some time. It's like we're all starting to come back from the, the summer break and get into rhythm. As you turn with me this morning to 1 Samuel, we're going to pick up in chapter 2. This is part 2 of a series that we we're calling Praying and Praising. Um, we're doing a four-part series, and then we're going to get back into studying uh, the scriptures verse by verse. And if this is your first time here, typically uh, we teach through books of the Bible verse by verse. But right now we're doing a short series to kick off um, the school year and just kind of the rhythms that we settle into in September and October. And um, felt like the Lord has been uh, stirring this up in us. And, and these these messages have taken a lot of preparation over the last few months because they've involved uh, the worship team as they've been writing music for each one of these and uh, for some of the, the artists in the church as they've been drawing. And so um, we wanted to really be creative with how we look at Scripture and how um, we apply it to our lives, understanding it in the context for what God has said. So I want to begin our time this morning by um, asking the following question. How do we make sense of what the Almighty does. How do you and I process what God is doing at any given time? And the reason I ask that question is because I feel like a lot of times I'm rather confused. I'm kind of confused as to why he's doing what he's doing because frankly, I would do it a different way. And that's how I apply myself to what God is doing is, well, Lord, if you really understood, then you should do it the way that I would do it. And you're like, you're a pastor. You're not supposed to say these things. Pastors are people. Okay, I need a t-shirt that says that. <laughs> Pastors are people too. You guys, the answer to that question, how do we make sense of what the Almighty does, is sometimes we can't. Sometimes we can't make sense of what he's doing or how he's doing it. It's the reality of a created being to have limits, limits that remind us that we're not the creator, that we are created, and we're reliant on the creator to provide purpose, insight, instruction, and direction, not to mention love, affection, encouragement. And I think that that all sounds good and fine until we remember that sometimes life is really hard, or we sit in the pews on a Sunday morning with the very present reality that life is hard at this very moment. That life hasn't gone according to plan this week or this month or maybe the last few years. Sometimes life is hard. People are unfaithful or cruel. Our place in the world doesn't turn out to be what we thought it would be when we were dreaming. We're in circumstances we didn't expect. And it turns out that our sin is actually destroying us and the sin of others is participating in that destruction. Now that you're all cheered up, it's here that Hannah's story begins in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2, but I, I want to warm us all up to what's happened in her life thus far because it's really important to understand the context of the passage of our study this morning. And so let me catch you up of what's going on in Hannah's life at this point. Her husband Elkanah was from a, a, one of the tribes, the Ephraimites, and he had two wives. His other wife was a, a gal named Penina who had bore children to Elkanah. 
Hannah was loved by her husband, so much so the text tells us in chapter 1 that when they came to Shiloh yearly uh, to the tabernacle there to offer sacrifices and worship the Lord, when he was feeding his family at that sacrifice, he would give Hannah, it says, a double portion. And you're like, wow, girl likes to eat. No, here's the thing. The double portion would go to the firstborn. Typically, the father would give his firstborn a double portion. He would give it to Hannah to show his affection, his love, and his care for her. And if you will, preference, which is dangerous. Uh, Not only was Hannah barren, she didn't have any children. But when you understand the situation in the Near East, in ancient Near East, a woman's pathway to fulfillment in life was not even just through bearing children, but bearing sons. Bearing sons for her husband was was a pathway to fulfillment. It was an establishment of her position. And this is why her sister wife ruthlessly taunts her because she had no children year after year after year. Taunts her and accuses her and makes life difficult for her. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being in that situation? Hannah is so demoralized that during their yearly pilgrimage to Shiloh at one point, she won't even eat. She's refusing to eat. She's so upset. She's so broken. And Elkanah says to her, why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? Now, there's two aspects of this statement that I want to point out. This rhetorical question that he asks, you know, which is supposed to be like, of course you are, hubby, right? First of all, I mentioned the idea about having sons and how that fulfills the role of the Near Eastern women in ancient times, how that was like important to them. And so he says, am I not better to you than 10 sons? In other words, have not, have I not established you? Think about that double portion, the first one. He's established her as his favorite. Surely that will make her happy. But not only that, what a stupid question to ask. And guys, we get this, don't we? I love that this is in scripture for us. The husband coming up to the wife, when she's upset, she's not eating, she's really just, and he says, I'm all you need, babe. Don't do it. Don't do it. You young guys, when you get married, when your wife is upset, don't walk up to her and be like, come on. I know life is rough, but drink it in. Huh? You will be spending the night alone, sir. Okay? So this is very typical for guys, but don't do it, okay? It's in, remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, listen, he goes, he tells the church in Corinth, he says, listen, all of scripture, the the scriptures that you read, they're written for our instruction, learn from them, learn from Elkanah. Now, I left an important detail out because I wanted to reveal it at this point. We're told why Hannah was unable to have children in verse 6 of chapter 1. It says this, the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Why did Hannah have no children? Read the text. The Lord had kept her from having them. That's difficult to understand, is it not? That's hard to process. Why? She didn't know why. Hannah, after years of taunting and heartbreak, She comes to the tabernacle in Shiloh, 
It's in the same situation that she had refused to eat. She's weeping and tears are pouring down her face and she prays in verse 11 of chapter one, making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me and give your servant a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and his hair will never be cut. She promises to give back to God what he will give to her, this this desire of her heart that she longs for more than anything else. Even to raise her son as a Nazarite. You can read about that in number six. To raise him as a Nazarite, consecrated to God. And the priest Eli shows up at this point in chapter one, and he totally misjudges her. He thinks she's drunk as a skunk. Because she's weeping and she's praying earnestly and she's broken. He's like, get rid of your wine. She's like, no, I'm not drunk. I'm just really upset. You guys, this prayer that Hannah prayed in verse 11, she states was from the depth of her anguish and resentment. She was in anguish. She was experiencing resentment. She was struggling. And so she went to the Lord in prayer. She went to God. When Elkanah made his comment to her, am I not better than 10 sons? No response is recorded. The next thing is that Hannah goes to the Lord in prayer. There's a lesson to be learned from that. When you are struggling, when you cannot make sense of what God is allowing to happen in your life, we must be quick to go to the Lord in prayer. What's amazing about this is the song or the prayer of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2 reveals how we ought to pray. Not just honestly the way that she makes a request from God, but the heart condition and the way she prays is revealed in the chapter that we're going to study this morning. Well, God answers before we get to that prayer of triumph in chapter two, God answers her. She has a son and we know that his name is the title of the book we're looking at Samuel. It's an incredible blessing. And she keeps her word when the boy is still young after he'd been weaned, she brings him to the tabernacle to serve the Lord in the role of a priest. And we know from reading our history that Samuel ends up being the final judge of the judge period, which brought Israel into the monarchical reign where the kings started being anointed and brought in. You can read about that in 1 Samuel 8. It's at this point of bringing her son to God that God had given to her. She recognizes, you have given this gift to me. I will now give it back to you. She brings her son to the tabernacle, to the Lord, and puts him in the trust of Eli. It's at this point in full recognition of God's blessing and provision that Hannah prays again. And this prayer flows like a beautiful poem. It has song-like movements to it. It's like music when you read it. It's pretty cool. As a musician, I read this and I'm like, this is my kind of poetry. This is my kind of prayer. It's scripture too. It's everything. I love this chapter of scripture. And so as we consider in the context of where she is at this moment, as we read this prayer, as we study this passage, there's artwork on the screen behind me that's been drawn by Dakota to depict what's going on in Hannah's life. It's for us to look at and, and, and look at the scriptures and understand in a deeper way, maybe a little bit more of an interpretive way, but the song we're going to sing after this message is a song of response that's been written from this text as well by the musicians here in the church. 
We shared it with you guys a couple weeks ago, but we're going to sing it again congregationally in response to what we're seeing here in the scriptures. Here's the point of all this, you guys. We must respond to what the scriptures are teaching us. We need to respond in our prayer lives. We need to respond with song. We need to respond by taking the creative giftings like our art ability or whatever it is that God's gifted with. Like, I don't have any gifts. Yes, you do. Have coffee with me. I'll talk to you about it. You're like, oh no, Mike's going to try and extract my gift. Like, let's just have coffee. Maybe making coffee is your gift. And a powerful gift it is. Lord bless this as we, as we read it. Let's read this. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. Hannah prayed. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. And there is no rock like our God. Do not boast so proudly or let arrogant words come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and actions are weighed by him. The bows of the warriors are broken, but the feeble are clothed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are starving hunger no more. The woman who is childless gives birth to seven, but the woman with many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and gives life. He sends some down to Sheol and he raises others up. The Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the trash heap. He seats them with noblemen and gives them a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the world on them. He guards the steps of his faithful ones. But the wicked perish in darkness. For a person does not prevail by his own strength. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder in the heavens against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give power to his king. He will lift up the horn of his anointed. Lord, as we read these words, may they start to just take root deep into our hearts, give us understanding. Allow us, Lord, not to make any mistakes here as to how we can grow in our ability to pray and express not only our desires to you, but, Lord, to express to you, Lord, just how much we love you how much we long to serve you, how much we long to be in your will and walking in your ways. Use this text in our lives this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look at four points of this prayer as we work our way through the text. There's tons of things to look at. There's endless things that we could dissect and break down, but to keep it to at least three hours, Let's, let's just stick to four points. Here's what we're looking for in this text. Rejoicing, reverence, and in that vein, reverence that's based on the sovereignty of God. I'll make that point a little bit more clear. We're looking for safety. And this is my favorite one. We're looking for the Savior. We're looking for Jesus. Hannah begins by rejoicing, but notice how she does it. I want to reread verses 1 through 3. My heart rejoices where? You can say it with me. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up 
by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not boast so proudly or let arrogant words come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and actions are weighed by him. She is rejoicing, but who is she rejoicing in? It's all about the Lord. Is her rejoicing about her own personal victory? Is she tooting her own proverbial horn at this point? Is this about Hannah? You can say, yes or no. Is this about Hannah? No. Who's it about? Okay, we're establishing this. This is about the Lord. Do we pray like this? Is your prayer life structured in such a way that you are rejoicing in what God has done, who he is, what he has accomplished? Is that how you're praying every day? How do we pray, church? Do we pray like this? I am rejoicing in who God is, in the Lord. Do we sing songs like this? Hannah's rejoicing is 100% God-centric. He is the focal point. He is the most important aspect of it. He is the one who her eyes are on. When you read it, it's not intending to put your eyes on her. It's putting your eyes on God. You're not thinking about what she's saying about herself. Your attention isn't being drawn to any human being. It's being drawn to God. This is how we ought to pray always. Always. I believe that her change of heart came before she saw God do the miracle of opening her womb. I believe that the change in Hannah happened before. Because in verse 18 of chapter 1, she responds to Eli this way after he says, you know, may God grant your request. When she tells him, I'm praying, I'm not drunk. And she says this to Eli in verse 18 of the first chapter. May your servant find favor with you. That's a polite way of saying thank you giving him respect. I'm simplifying. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer looked despondent. That was back in chapter one. Why is it important? God hadn't done the miracle yet. What had she done at that point that changed everything? She trusted him. She trusted the Lord to do what she wanted. Do you think it was her trusting the Lord to do what she wanted? I don't think she could have had true peace at that point. She trusted the Lord to do what he wanted to do. Church, if you want peace in your prayer life, you have to trust in what the Lord desires to do, not what you want him to do. We cannot get this confused. We pray according to the will of God. That's why we're afraid to pray sometimes. We talked about that last week. Sometimes I think we fear making petition to God because we're afraid of what he might say. Or we're looking around going, yeah, well, this isn't going so hot already. I've prayed a lot. Not really working out the way I wanted. And God's like, exactly. Exactly. You're like, but it would be so much better if it was my way. No, it would not. That is pride. When I think that I can educate God on what would work better in my life, I am in the wrong. You guys, God grants her requests later. She had faith. She didn't have any results yet. 
If you are basing your prayer life on the results you're seeing in the present, you will be very broken in prayer. You will be very hesitant to enter a place of prayer. Because you're going to look around and go, what's the use? Come on now. You're thinking that at times, aren't you? What's the use? Nothing ever changes anyway. Who is your faith in when we say that? When I come to this place of prayer and I go, what's the use? It's not happening the way I want. What's the point? That is me, me, me. That is my self-focused. We don't have to understand. You aren't called to understand what God is doing all the time. You're not able to. I am convinced that if I understood everything that God understood, my brain would explode. He withholds it for my good. He's not showing me because he loves me, not because he doesn't love me. You guys, he's building our faith. You don't grow in your faith if God's just giving you what you want all the time. Parents, we get that. I want this. No. Is that hateful? If it is, you should correct it. But if if parents, you're like, I love saying no when they ask for that just because. That's mean. (laughs) I would hope that the reason you say no is because you love your children. You want what's best for them. And yet when we're here as God's children, and Jesus says, he who enters the kingdom must receive it like one of these little children, we're like, do what I want, God. And he says, no, not because he doesn't like you, because he loves you and he knows better. He knows better. And so when we pray, we don't allow our prayers to be shaped by our dissatisfaction with how God's doing what we want. We pray and rejoice in who he is. And if we have not prayed, church, this is conviction. It's not condemnation. If you have not prayed recently, and I want this to be daily for us as a church, if you haven't prayed recently and rejoiced in who God is, just said, thank you for making me. But rather, if you say, Lord, why did you make me? That's Jonah. That's the heart of Jonah. You're like, well, Jonah wasn't so bad. You guys, he's an example of everything we shouldn't be. Bratty, liar, runner, not a good swimmer. (laughs) You guys, like, we we have all these things that we look at in Scripture like, I don't want to be like that. Especially the swimmer part. There's a rabbit trail available. I'm saying no. Praise Jesus. You guys, she didn't have any results yet. She entrusted herself to God and got back to work. She ate. She didn't look despondent. She just went back to what the Lord had given her to do. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Not seen. Are you praying according to what you're seeing, or are you praying according to what you're not seeing? Are you praying according to the promises of God? Are you praying according to the things around you that are making you depressed? That are bringing you down? Guys, this again is not condemnation. This is encouragement. Let us be a church who prays based on the promises and the foundations of God. After all, that's what Hannah said. There is no foundation like our God. There is no rock like our God. We don't need to know how this situation or that situation is going to work out to be at peace. We don't have to know. 
We need to put our faith in God, and if we are not at peace, our faith is in something or someone else. And that's the source of our problem. Pour your heart out to God. Pour your heart out to him. That doesn't mean you only pray the things that you know should be prayed. It means that you truly must rejoice in who he is. And then read the Psalms. David pours his guts out to God. Why? (sighs) But you're good. I trust you. He expresses, but he comes back to his foundation. Shed the tears and then leave the matter with him. We must entrust ourselves to the Father. And here's the greatest reason why. Jesus did it. 1 Peter 2, 22 through 23. Speaking of Jesus. He did not commit sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, do you suffer? When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He did not threaten. He did not lose it (laughs) like we do. Jesus entrusted himself to God because God is judge. He entrusted himself to the Father, and not just because it was right to do so. He did it to set an example for you. How are we doing? How are we doing? Do you entrust yourself to God in your current situation? When you're insulted, what do you do? When you're threatened, what do you do? Don't return the insult. Don't overreact in the flesh and throw your threats around. You guys, entrust yourself to God. He's the one who judges justly. He sees you. He loves you. He wants you. And he knows what you need better than you know it yourself. He knows what I need better than I know it myself. The source of rejoicing is God. If we're trying to rejoice in what's going on here, we're going to struggle with things to rejoice over. And some of you may be thinking right now, Mike, I don't have a lot to rejoice over in this life. Like this thing just flew into my eye. Right? I don't have a lot to rejoice over. It's just a mess. My whole life is a mess. Then don't rejoice over your life. Rejoice in who God is. You're like, well, that's easy for you to say. No, it's not. Stuff breaks in my house too. I have five kids. Things are always going awry. You're like, oh, they're Pastor Mike's kids. They never sin. (laughs) There's a reason there's not an Arlo in the house. (laughs) You guys, we struggle. We battle together. We're doing life together. We're not perfect. If our source of rejoicing is in what's going on in our lives, we have a problem. Notice that Hannah had a lot of really cool things happening right now. Who is she rejoicing in? What God did that that makes her happy or in who God is? The rejoicing is based on his character, God's character. It's not that we don't recognize the good things. We love and appreciate them, but you know what? My source is not in those things. Because God can give and God can take away. And Job says, you know what? Either way, I'm going to bless his name. Hannah rejoiced in God. Church, I pray that we can make these statements based off of just this first section. Oh yeah, I'm only through one section. I rejoice because he is my strength. I rejoice because he is my salvation. I rejoice because he is holy. 
I rejoice because he is exclusive. I rejoice because he is my foundation. I rejoice because he is all knowing and I can rejoice in God because he is just. And I'll add on to that. We can rejoice because God loves us in Christ Jesus. Amen. He loves us dearly. Second point that we see in this text that I want to point out about her prayer. Verses four through eight. Let's read this again. I'll have to move a little more quickly, but that's okay. You guys like it when I talk fast, right? The bows of the warriors are broken, but the feeble are clothed with strength. Verse 5, those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are starving hunger no more. The woman who is childless gives birth to seven, but the woman with many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and gives life. He sends some down to Sheol and he raises them up. The Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the trash heap. He seats them with noblemen and gives them a throne of honor for the foundations of the earth of the Lord's. He has set the world on them. And there's like this, this righteous shout that the church is here like, yeah! yeah. Hooray. You guys, the second point of this prayer if you look closely, is reverence. And the reason I say you look closely for reverence is because what these verses are really about is the sovereignty of God, and that should create reverence in us. There's a reverence as we read about these attributes of God that just establish us in this place of like, wow, God does all of this, and he doesn't need one iota of my help. He does not need me to accomplish all that he does. And I do not add to his personality, his character. I am an expression of it. I am an expression of the character of the almighty creator, the sovereign, holy God. He made us in his image. You guys, the Lord, the Lord He is the one who works in the realm of the unknown. He is the one who is sovereign over our lives and the situations and the circumstances we're in. The sovereignty of God is not something to be afraid of. When we talk about reverence, this isn't runaway fear. This is like, wow, let's recognize who God is right now. And you know what's interesting about our prayer lives? Going back to the first point and using that as a platform to talk about this one. When we are struggling with rejoicing in who God is, we tend to forget where he is over all things. Sovereign over all things. Have we made God small in our prayer lives? And when I say that, that doesn't mean that we should only pray about things that are a big deal. What I'm saying is how we pray to him reveals how big of him we really think. That was a weird way to say it, but you know what I'm talking about. It shows how sovereign we really believe he is by how we pray to him, how we express our love and affection towards him in prayer. The sovereignty of God is not something to be afraid of. It's something to rejoice and worship him for because it's not about me. Now, for some of us, you're like, I really struggle with this, making things about me. Do you realize that's a lot of weight to carry around? To replace God with yourself and dictate to him how things in your life should be going, that's a lot of weight to carry to put that much importance on little old you and me. But I matter so much. Oh, he loves you. But I matter so much. Careful. Careful. What do you mean when you think, or when I think, 
This is us. When I think, let me personalize it. When I think that I matter so much, who is making a big deal of whom? To think that, that and you guys, we'd like to pretend we don't think this way, but have you ever looked at a job or a ministry or your family and be like, oh, you guys would be a wreck without me. <laughs> Let's face it. There's no way you could go on. This whole thing would just fall apart because of me. It's a heavy burden to carry, but I can do it. You guys, there's no room for that kind of pride when we recognize God is sovereign. He is holy. He is the one it's riding on. God is the one who's accomplishing good through the church. He is using us. He's not like, boy, I tell you what, if we can't get Mike to go in in the fourth quarter, this thing's over. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't need me. He chose me. He's using me. But you guys, we need to get this part right. Our reverence of God matters so much when it comes to our prayer. And here's, here's the, the statement that Hannah makes here in verse 8. And I love this. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the world on them. That's pretty big. That's pretty big. God created this world that we're just tiny little specks on. You guys, when we embrace that he not only owns the foundations of the earth, but he set the world on them, that he founded everything here, we can kind of free up. Just kind of like slide into the pocket of who he's called us to be. I'm not saying like get used to your sin. No, we deal with sin. We put sin to death, we're growing, we're being sanctified, we're maturing, but I don't have to try to be some other person or be some other thing. I can be who God's called me to be, grow in that, be purified by him, and realize that the whole world is not resting on my shoulders, nor does it revolve around me. And sometimes we act like it does. We live our lives in such a way that everything that is going on in them surrounds us and revolves around us. It does not. God is at the center of everything. And when we embrace that, we can join in Paul's praise in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. So often we're like, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of me. Careful. We chuckle because it's true. It's the knowledge of God. Paul continues, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. Please don't miss that. From him, through him, to him are all things. How many? You can say it. How many? All from, through, and to. And to him be the glory forever. Amen. Powerful response of praise to what Hannah teaches us about God in verses 4 through 8. We found rejoicing. We found reverence in the light of his sovereignty. But I want to encourage you guys with this as well. Look at verse 9. He guards the steps of his faithful ones, but the wicked perish in darkness, for a person does not prevail by his own strength. 
You are not prevailing because of your own strength. I am not prevailing because of my own strength. He guards the steps of his faithful ones. Hannah declares that the Lord is guarding the steps of his people. And Peter agrees in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, which ties together the faith that we talked about at the beginning of this prayer. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. For a person does not prevail by his own strength. Where do you think Peter learned that? I suggest the Old Testament and quite possibly exactly what Hannah says in 1 Samuel 2.9. He almost quotes it word for word. A person does not prevail by his own strength. And Peter brings that right into the reality of the church. He says, you are being guarded by God's power through faith. How are we being guarded by God's power? Ask the question in reverse. How are we being guarded by God's power? Through faith, through what you know? Through what you already understand? Through what you can see? No, through faith. By trusting in him. By holding fast to what he said. Psalm 33. You guys, this is amazing. I love this. Psalm 33. We'll make time. Verses 16 through 22. A king is not saved by a large army. A warrior will not be rescued by great strength. The horse is a false hope for safety. It provides no escape by its great power. But look, the Lord keeps his eye on those who fear him, those who depend on his faithful love to rescue them from death and to keep them alive in famine. And then here's the response. We wait for the Lord. He is our help and shield for our hearts rejoice in him because we trust in his holy name. May your faithful love rest on us, Lord, for we put our hope in you. I love that because in this psalm, in Psalm 33, it switches from this declaration of how we are saved and then the people together collectively say it back to God. We wait for you then. You are our help and shield. Our hearts rejoice in him. Boy, if we want to erupt in praise on a regular basis, read and pray the psalms. When was the last time you went to Psalm 33? Verses 20 through 22, and made that the prayer of your heart. I will wait for you, Lord. You are my help and shield. My heart rejoices in you because I trust in your holy name. May your faithful love rest on me, for I have put my hope in you. How powerful is that to pray and to cry out to God and say, you are everything to me. You're my shield and my strength. You see the terminology used in multiple sections in this prayer of Hannah as well. She says, he lifted up my horn. It's an idea of a, an animal that has horns that lifts its head. It's strength. It's, it's strong to lift its head and stand upright. The idea is the giving of strength. And she says, the Lord has done this for us. And the reason we can say all of these things is because he is our strength and that he is our safety. He guards the steps of his faithful ones. He is guarding you. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you struggle with fear? How many of you regularly are experiencing fear in your heart? If you belong to Jesus, he is your shield. You do not need to fear. You don't have to be afraid. 
final point in this prayer. And I encourage you guys to spend time in this text. There is much more. We could spend week after week looking through these verses and continue to hear the Lord speak to our hearts. But here's our final point for this morning. Look at verse 10. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder in the heavens against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give power to his king. He will lift up the horn of his anointed. You guys, there is definitely an echo here. Knowing that Samuel is going to be the priest who anoints the first king of Israel. There is a direct correlation, I believe, here, but there's also a future promise. There's a future promise of the king who's going to come because the word anointed is also translated Messiah. We would say their savior. The king in this sense, the anointed is the anointed one who will save the Messiah in Hebrew. It's a powerful reference, I believe, to Jesus. Because the ultimate picture of the saving of people is going to draw us to the name of Jesus. And the final point of this prayer I believe we have to take note of is the Savior. When you see, again, the horn being used here, a symbol of strength, the Hebrew word behind oppose has a legal connotation. When you look at verse 10, when it says, those who oppose the Lord will be shattered, oppose in the legal sense here is basically saying, no one has a case against God. No one's going to bring a case against God and accuse him of doing something. And what's crazy to me as we say that is so often we get very accusatory in our prayers. Don't believe me? You're like, oh yeah, I do it all the time. Okay, well then that's fine. But like, not fine. Don't do that. But there's also ways that we do this that are more subtle. When you throw your hands up and tell God you're going to quit, you're accusing him. When you say, I'm done, I'm out, I'm not going to do this anymore. Fine. Not only is that the heart of Jonah, but it's also accusing him of not knowing what he's doing. Of not being worthy to live for unless he is doing what you want. Church, we cannot be people like this. He is worthy to live for because of who he is. And not only because of who he is, but because he is the God who saves He is the God who sent the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our Savior Jesus, to die for us. There's an anticipation here of what the Messiah will come and do. And it's so poetic that the mother of Samuel, who would anoint the first king of Israel, is prophesying of the final king, the King of kings that will return and rule and reign forever. Jesus, amen? Cannot wait. So ready. You guys, it's fitting that our final point of this text is Jesus himself. It draws our eyes to Christ, where our eyes should be anyway. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the character and nature and heart of Jesus. And Jesus said so himself. In John 5.39, he said, You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. When was the last time, and I keep using that phrase because it's just bringing up thoughts in our hearts and minds. When was the last time we approached our prayer time and our time in scripture saying, Jesus, show me yourself. 
Testify of yourself here where I'm reading in my scriptures this morning. Because the scriptures testify of Jesus. They remind us of him. They speak to us of him. They call us to him. When we read the word of God, are we reading it like an instruction manual looking for that perfect page that tells us how to fix the problem in our life? It's funny because when people come for counseling so often, like, where's the verse that tells me how I can do this thing and that thing and be over there? And it's like, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's wrong to look at the scriptures and to learn from them, but if the reason you're reading your Bible is for it to tell you how to fix your life, you have just taken God's place. Because you're going to fix your life with the instruction manual. And that's not how it works. He is the one who fixes your life. He is the one who corrects your heart. And by fix your life, if you mean, if you mean by that to remove your problems, as mother used to say, we have got another thing coming. It's not about us being removed from the trial. It's about us having our hearts shaped into the heart of Jesus so that we can live life the way that he did, not returning insult for insult, not striking out against those who are striking him, but instead entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. That's what Jesus wants to do in our hearts. He wants to teach us how to entrust our lives to the Father the way that Jesus had and has and continues to. It's not about him removing your circumstances. It's not about him fixing your life. It's about you submitting to Christ and his process and what he's bringing you through. Worship team, would you guys come up? This prayer, I had this response to this this week. Um, many scholars will compare Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2 to Mary's song or prayer of praise in Luke chapter 1. Amazing similarities. That's where we're going next week. Next week, we're going to spend our time studying the Magnificat, which is Mary singing of her soul magnifying the Lord. They are amazing companion passages. And something happened to me uh, this week as I was studying this and as I was thinking about it, it, it really made me um, miss my mom. It really made me miss my mom. It really made me miss a relationship that I've lost. And I looked at these women in scripture and it was like the Lord just pulled back the curtain from me. It was like, these women are ministering to you now. And I have a special hug in store for Hannah and Mary someday. Because as I've read their words, the expression of their heart to God, their worship, I feel like one of their kids. I feel like as the Lord speaks through them, I'm just sitting at their feet like, wow, to have a mom that would cry out and praise God in this way, that re would rejoice in him, that would look at her children and go, oh, my soul magnifies the Lord. I'm rejoicing in everything you've done. I'm rejoicing in everything that you are to me. Moms, can I encourage you? Gals who may be moms, would you bless your kids with this? Would you say these words over them? Would you pray these prayers in an example for them? Because I tell you what, I felt a connection to this passage in a really special way. Because it was so amazing to see these women of Scripture just praising and worshiping God with all their heart. Guys, we need to do this as well, but there was something about it for me that felt very, um, I guess you would say, maternal.
with that kind of going through our minds, with us just thinking about how we express our love for the Lord, how we express His goodness and His character to other people, I want to encourage you guys as we sing this song to inspire each other with your praise to God, not for yourself. This is to inspire and encourage others to praise and worship God, to draw their attention to Him. Songs called "Until Your Love," and um, it's pretty special to our worship team. And um, I'm just going to pray, and we're going to share it with you guys. If you haven't heard it before, I would encourage you to join in and sing as you as you learn it. And for those of you who heard it a couple weeks ago as we introduced it, I want to encourage you to sing it as well. But let's just marinate on this text, on this prayer, and then sing a song of response based off of it to the Lord. God, we want to bring you glory. We want to worship you for who you are from hearts that have been made new. Jesus, you have made us new creations. And Lord, there are so many broken relationships in our lives. But Lord, you've given us so much more in yourself. And your word, Lord, as I read these words, I cannot wait to celebrate in eternity, with the family of God to enjoy that fellowship in your presence forever. God, I pray that as we sing a song of response that we would rejoice in you, that we would revere you, that we would find safety in you, and Jesus, that it would be all about you. Would you be honored and glorified as we sing? your name be lifted up would this not be about any person but you receive all the glory and transform first baptist lord our, our church for church family we want you to receive all the glory of our praise be lifted up be honored and may this be pleasing to your ears a sweet song